Hi, this is Alina Kanner and Megan Barrington, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas, and we wanted to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Our episode today, we get to chat with Jill Zimmerman. Jill is a doctor of physical therapy and a certified personal trainer with over 15 years of experience working in the field. Jill bridges the gap between medicine and fitness with her holistic approach to treating pain. Jill is a mom of one and she owns her own business called Perfectly Wellness Fit in South Carolina. Today we took a real deep dive into discovering diastasis recti. What is it and what you can do about it? It was a really interesting episode, and both Megan and I learned a ton, and we know you're going to enjoy it. Good morning, Jill. Welcome to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Morning. Thanks for having me. We're so happy to have you on our show. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. So you're here all the way from South Carolina, so we're all in slightly different time zones, which is cool, Um, and you're in your office right now, so did you- work all day is that i worked all day uh from about eight till three about 20 minutes ago so um did i say good morning when i first said <laughs> we all said good that morning. was me that was my fault but i'm I also I'm like following your lead so. anyway um yeah so i've had a full day so i'm um, just gonna keep it rolling and i hope we get into some fun stuff <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing what you're doing yeah, so um, I'm a physical therapist. I um, went to school in Maryland and I um, worked in just like general outpatient orthopedic type facility there um, just to kind of get my foot in the door, um, learn, you know, whatever skill set I was working on at the time. Um, and then when I moved to, but I like always like hated working for people. <laughs> And I hated like, I I hate saying hate, but I didn't like working for like insurance companies and being really restricted on what I was allowed to do. And, you know, if I had somebody come in with a knee problem, I couldn't look somewhere else up and down the kinetic chain to fix that knee problem or else they'd say, you know, we're not paying for it. And I just, I got really tired of just getting overworked and not being able to do what I felt I was really good at um, to the best of my ability. So um, I ended up moving to Charleston, South Carolina, um, for personal reasons. I met my husband here and I worked for a little bit and then I ran into a girl. I was just trying to network and meet different people. And I met Sarah Ellis Duval, who is the founder of core exercise solutions. She was living in Charleston and she actually, this is her place. <laughs> so she started my business perfectly fit wellness. And her and I were going to partner up. And then she um, decided that, you know, she was going to have a baby. So we were going to partner up. And then her husband lost his job and they had to move. So she was like, can you just buy it instead? And I was like, okay. (laughs) So it was great because it forced me into a uncomfortable situation pretty quickly. Um, and there's always that concern when you're transitioning into that kind of model where somebody's really established it and the clients have become very attached to that person that you're going to lose 
clients and have to basically start from scratch, but that didn't happen. Um, it was a great transition and her and I work in very similar ways and we have similar personalities. So I think people really gravitated towards that. And so it just got going um, from there. So now I have my own um, cash-based PT hybrid training facility. Um, so more of that like holistic wellness type model. And I see everybody. Um, I don't just see women's health, postpartum um, issues. I see everybody, which I prefer it that way. I don't really want to specialize in anything in particular because I feel like that really pigeonholes um, people into sort of uh, boxes where they only think about certain things and they, they lose the ability to sort of connect the missing parts mm -hmm. when you get really specialized like that so i really keep it open and i see absolutely i mean i had a guy i have a guy with parkinson's right now so it's just sort of um anybody walks in the door yeah cool wow awesome. awesome and how did you meet katie because i met you through katie and her program yeah so katie st Clair and i um became friends when i um i knew about her through sarah ellis because she knew Katie, um, but I hadn't actually ran into her in Charleston until I found her at her gym, just coincidentally, and she was doing uh, PRI techniques on somebody, and I recognized them because I had been to PRI courses, and so I felt like that was a good, uh, and I, I, so I assumed it was her, and I was just like, are you Katie, and do you do PRI, <laughs> and I do PRI, and so like, luckily she's amazing, and like, we became really good friends, and we started taking courses together, and just like, meeting up and learning from each other and like picking each other's brains and so we've developed this um you know friendship and like professional relationship um, over the last probably like four or five years cool yeah. mm -hmm. so so even though you don't specialize um what we wanted to talk to you about on here was a lot about um diastasis recti and like ah. dysfunction of kind of the core from a not necessarily even pre or post or um postpartum situation, but just women in general, because I think it's sure. probably more common than we even know, because it's obviously something kind of taboo to talk about. People don't really talk about um, their struggles with this stuff. So if you could just tell our audience a little bit, what is diastasis recti and how do you get it, et cetera? Yeah. So yeah, the, one of the things about diastasis is, um, you know, people are like, oh, that's the pregnancy thing. And I'm like, yeah, but not really. <laughs> like, I've seen so many men with it. Yeah. Like, like really terrible visceral fat stuff. Oh yeah. Like the guy I just, I've had, I had two men today and I think both of them had it, <laughs> you know? So like you want to talk percentages. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's extremely common. Um, it's just basically a thinning or a separation of the linea alba, which is the, um, fascial tissue that runs in between the rectus abdominis muscles. So, that separates for a number of reasons. In pregnant women, it obviously needs to separate to accommodate a growing baby inside the abdominal cavity. So 100% of women who are pregnant get a diastasis by the end of their pregnancy term. But it happens a lot with men, like you said, especially like the more rotund belly men tend to get it. Mm -hmm. um, but it happens also just people who don't manage their pressure well. So I see it a lot with very extremely fit athletes. Um, just scroll through Instagram and you'll see it all over. <laughs> um, and these are people who are really even promoting abdominal, you know, core workouts. And there they are with this enormous gapping mm -hmm. diastasis. Um, 
And, and that being said, there's, it's not just the, the gap that we're concerned about or the, the width of that gap, but we look at a lot of things when it comes to diastasis. We look at the depth of it, um, how deep it goes inside. We look at um, the feel of the tissue when you put your fingers in there. Is it soft to the touch and squishy or is it more like a firm trampoline type feeling? Um, those are all things that tell us a little bit more about how the entire core system is connecting. So when I look at it, I'm not just like, oh, you're two or three fingers with, it's looking at the whole picture, where it is in your, in your abdomen, if it's high, middle, or low, that tells more information about what's going on with your loading and your core system. So looking at all of that um, in terms of identifying why somebody has it <laughs> and what to do about it. And I think that's kind of why it's so difficult to treat is that there isn't really one answer for everybody. It's very individualized, um, just like any, it's like back pain, you know, like people all the time are like, what can I do for my back? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I, I have to like look at you, like, and understand more about you and the way you move and the way you're, you know, you're connecting and, um, yeah. and, and it's the same exact thing with diastasis. I mean, it's an, it's an injury to the tissue and that needs to be investigated. Yeah. It's kind of like a footprint almost like the way that it's formed. You can definitely tell a lot by how a person moves. I mean, even just looking at their posture, I guess too, but. Right. Yeah. So posture is one of the big things you're looking at how people are breathing, how people are moving and, and their posture um, and how they're loading. So what's happening to that abdominal cavity when they put load on it, when they put, um, you know, abdominal load, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Frontal loads. So how do you test for that? Like, how do you. Um, yeah, so um, the test is the official test is to like have an ultrasound, like a diagnostic ultrasound sound done. But the, you know, that's just so you're 100% sure. But it's a very easy test to do on yourself if you just want to have an idea. So I just had people lie on their back, uh, put their knees up with their feet supported um, on the floor, and just put your I checked, I tell them to check three places. So just put your finger on your belly button and lift your head up off the table. And what you're doing when you have your head up like that is you're looking and feeling at that belly button area and you're feeling, does tissue separate? Do you feel a whole kind of gap there? And if you do, how many fingers can you fit like horizontally across that hole? Then you're looking at what does that hole feel like? Or maybe it's not a hole. Sometimes it goes in and it feels squishy or it feels firm or sometimes it actually bulges out. So noting those distinctions. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at, obviously location is gonna be at the belly button. Um, there's one more thing, it'll come to me. Um, and then you go like between the belly button and the rib cage and you do the same exact thing. So kind of halfway between um, xiphoid process and belly button, check there, same, same thing. And then halfway between pubic bone and belly button and check there. And you're just taking notes as to what you feel and then you're comparing it to later. It's, it's sort of just like this before and after test. Got it. So if it's bulging up, what does that mean versus if it's like you feel a divot? Yeah. So usually if it, that'll just give me an initial thought process of if it's bulging up, this person is uh, creating too much pressure in their system. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's okay. interesting. Coming in and it's squishy down there. It's, they're not, they're not, there isn't enough tensioning through the system. Hmm. Interesting. And, and none of these are like pure gold. It's just like yeah. it's part of the puzzle that you're, you're putting together. Right. And so if, story. if someone's got like a lot of subcutaneous fat, is it, I mean, can you still really do this test? Or yeah. Um, I mean, it's obviously, 
Yeah. It's obviously harder, but once you get a feel for what you're looking for, what you, you get your anatomy all taken, yeah. you can do it. So you know that fat tissue feels different than muscular tissue. So what you're yeah. going to feel when you lift your head up is you're going to feel the rectus abdominis muscles. You're going to feel that those are firm. And if they're firm and they come all the way together firm, it's going to be firm all the way across. And if it's, you get a little boop and it's like a little bit of softness or a little bit of hole in between, that's where you're thinking that there's a separation. Okay. That makes that sense. sense. Like, you know, totally. when you can get through people's fat layers and feel yeah. either firmness or squishiness underneath that. When they're it's like pain. anything else, honestly. It's like anything else. Yeah. Like a glute. That's kind of a stupid you question. You feel glute muscle work underneath yeah. the, the lipos. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No such thing as a stupid question. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you were saying you tested in a couple different places. Is there anything that you see that's common with like a certain type of person or a certain type of posture where they have it a diastasis in like one certain area? Um, yeah, so I find that so like you can have it like above the belly button or you can have it below the belly button or you can have it at the belly button or you can kind of have it like all the way up and down. Um, right. The belly button is the most common place, and that's the one I see most often with women who have had children, because the belly button height is where the baby is gonna push the furthest out, okay? Mm -hmm. And so that's gonna have, obviously, the most stretch to those tissues. Um, so that's kind of a more obvious one, but that doesn't mean they just have it at the belly button, they can also have a greater range. Um, and then I see that people who tend to Hmm. Do you know like the, 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 the woman who carry the baby and they sort of like push their hips forward to hold the baby? Yeah. And they're kind of like dropped in their rib cage, but their hips are pushed forward. Yeah. Those people are usually more lower. Mm -hmm. As that you makes can sense. imagine. Yeah. Um, and then the opposite side of that is the people who are like the super, the more athletic, if you will, but rib, rib flare people. Mm -hmm. Those people tend to be a little bit more in the upper area. Okay. This is not like everybody falls on right. rules, but this is like typically what I might see or expect. Or yeah, predict, right. You know? So then how do you go about fixing a diastasis? Like what's the first step um, as a PT? Yeah. So as a PT, uh, my, I, I, I treat it, like I said, I treat it like any other injury. So I go through the whole history because all that, that whole history tells me so much about that person, where they've been, the way they've moved for years, the way that they're moving now, um, what they're doing at home. Did they just have a baby? Do they sit at a desk all day? I take all of that information. It all matters, right? Because like, we're just we're trying to figure out why somebody is putting strain on the tissues in their body, just like we would need to know why they're putting strain on their rotator cuff. Right. Um, so, and you know, I just, I watch everybody. Well, I do like the typical assessment that I'm going to do with everybody, but when it comes, I really pay close attention to the abdominal area and what's like, I, I do the test and then I'm also looking at how are they loading? What happens when they lift one leg up over the other, like sort of those front loading type exercises. I look at their rib cage. I look at the dimensions of their rib cage. I look at how they're breathing. What is their rib cage doing? Where is it moving? Where is it not moving? Where is it getting stuck? Um, I look at what their abdominals are doing when they're breathing. Are they expanding? Are they staying tight? Where is that happening? Um, I look at 
glute strength. I look at adductor strength. I go through all my, you know, my, my movement and strength tests just to kind of put together an overall picture. Um, I always ask about pelvic floor. Sometimes people will have a pelvic floor story or a history. Some people will not. Um, some people will have something in their past that I know is pelvic floor related, but they don't <laughs> because it never produced any symptoms. But I'm thinking, yeah, that's a pelvic floor problem. And so I'm always screening for that because you always want to address a pelvic floor issue before you try to go ahead and fix a diastasis. So I'm always screening for that. And if I have to refer out to get an actual full picture from like a, a pelvic floor PT, I do. Um, but that's sort of definitely something that I'm going to look at with that, that person. Okay. And then just movement screens. Cause most of this, most of the people I see, they're like, you know, my pelvic floor is fine and my diastasis is fine when I'm laying on my back and it doesn't bother me. But it's like, when I do, when I go to the gym, that's when mm -hmm. I really notice it. So like, those are the times that you have to look really closely at as well as posturing and how people hold themselves all day long what you were just saying about like a symptom that could come up that they may not know is a symptom. Can you give me an example? I'm just interested. Yeah. I was trying to think of one, like as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, what is it a, a question? But, um, there's sometimes there's trauma in people's lives. That's sort of one big one. And, and, or just like a lot of stress sometimes that people mm -hmm. hold. Um, and I just, I look at sort of overall tensioning and how much people are holding. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of tell if that person might be like a pelvic floor clincher or, um, you know, maybe they just have like a little bit of leaking, but they never considered it a problem because it's normal, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> um, using Common, there. not normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Common, but it's not normal and nobody's really explained that to them. And they just think, Oh, I have babies, and like that's what women do after they. Yeah. So they don't consider themselves. They don't even offer the information until I sort of have to like drag it out of them. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of them. But yeah, just I can't really think of anything specific. But some of it's just intuitive, I guess. Like I kind of am like, yeah, like if that they'll tell me a story, and I'm like, if that happened to me, I don't know. Like maybe I would maybe hold my pelvic, maybe I would, I would clench it in that area, you know, things like that. Or, mm -hmm. or they'll like, and this doesn't always come out in the first visit. It might be, um, you know, visits later where something will spark their memory because we're talking about the pelvic floor yeah. just because even if they don't come up, I'm like, we're going to, we're going to talk about it because it's part of the whole core system and it needs to work. And as we're talking about it, they're coming out with, well, now that I think about it, <laughs> it's, you know, that kind of thing. You know when you're um, doing an assessment on somebody and they can't relax to the point where you can't even oh, do yeah. is is that something like would that be yeah, something that so would strike you, your Yeah, so I'll I'll even if no one's you know saying that they've ever had any issues with their pelvic floor, we test it out, right? So I'm just want to see like can that person connect with that area? Like, can they connect with their glute? You know, it's the same thing. Can you can you tighten your glute? Can you relax it? So I'll have them like palpate on the outside of their clothes, their pelvic floor, and I'll ask them to take a breath in to, in an effort to sort of relax or, or descend that pelvic floor. And I ask them, you know, can you feel that your pelvic floor descending into your finger? Do you feel it sort of just like pushing ever so slightly into your finger? Do you feel like nothing? And then on the other side of that, 
Now exhale, let all your air out. Can you feel any kind of lift of the pelvic floor? Can you feel it like shorten or contract and pull away from your finger? Just a slight bit. And this, these are not huge movements, but, or does it feel like nothing's happening at all, right? And so sometimes um, some people are like, yeah, I kind of feel that. Sometimes it's, um, they feel it on one side and not the other. Um, but often they're like, I don't feel anything. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they have a problem with their pelvic floor. It just tells me that they're not really, their body isn't coordinated and connected with it, yeah. right? It's like a neurological, yeah, like a brain thing. So um, that's just telling me we need, we need that back, right? right. So it's just, that's just an indicator light. We were actually talking about a little bit about this in preparation for the podcast. So for example, someone who is like really tense, is that common to create more of like a diastasis? Um, if someone has a, like a clenching problem with their pelvic floor, would that create more pressure like elsewhere in the core? Does that make sense? So the people who are more like high pressure, which are a lot of like the athlete, like more athletic, either athletic or like super stressed out type A yeah. personality or both, right? Yeah. Those are the people I see who are sort of more clenchers or, and grippers. Um, and those people, they're just, they're holding a lot of pressure everywhere, right? And they're, and to have that much pressure everywhere and not be able to manage it, there's going to be some sort of escape of that pressure in the system, right? Sometimes people's pressure will escape downward towards their pelvic floor, and that can result in prolapse, okay? Sometimes their pressure will be pushed forward, and that will create a situation of a diastasis, right? And so sometimes what we'll see is the people who have a diastasis are actually sparing themselves from a prolapse, okay? Because they're allowing the pressure to escape forward, and it's not going down. And that's why you always want to address and make sure that the pelvic floor is functioning properly before you go into closing a diastasis. Because when you close a diastasis, you're going to push the pressure back inward. And if that pelvic floor is not able to hold that pressure, it's going to give. Okay. And there have been too many women who have been given prolapse by doing online programs where they're trying to close their diastasis and they're not getting that attention that they need yes okay definitely that's sort of like just a pressure system clenching in the jaw clenching in the throat all of those things play into what's happening down below as well so we have three diaphragms in our body one is the respiratory diaphragm one is the <laughs> I can't with New York. I can't. I'll shut the window, but like uh, it's fine. Keep it is- in. It's candid. <laughs> Alina's on a boat. She's on a ship. <laughs> oh, boy. Your respiratory diaphragm. There's your pelvic <laughs> diaphragm, and there's your um, a diaphragm in your glottis or your throat mm-hmm. in your mouth. Okay, and so all of those regulate pressure in your body. And so if you're holding too much tension, so throat clenchers, jaw clenchers, mouth clenchers, <laughs> they're also going to be putting too much pressure down, back down into the system, okay? Mm-hmm. And so yes. I look at all of that stuff too. Like, so it's not just what are the abs doing, it's <laughs> how can we manage that pressure from everywhere in the system? That's cool though. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, I knew that there was a diaphragm in your glottis as well, but I'd never... Th- I mean, obviously that helps regulate pressure, but I never thought about it before. That's great. I mean, right. Right. no one's ever really talks about that. Right. 
Um, so how can we, um, as people, not just women, because obviously men have these three diaphragms as well. How could we be proactive with this and preventing diastasis? I mean, there's some obvious things, but. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some obvious things. Um, the biggest thing is, uh, posture, you know, paying attention to how much you're, you know, putting pressure forward into your abdominals. Um, anybody who lives in sort of more of that anteriorly tilted pelvic position is going to be putting more pressure forward. Um, if you want to like, Talk about like if you're just in general, like if you're holding a lot of tension in your body, like we were just talking about, maybe trying to do some meditative strategies or, um, you know, body scan type techniques to sort of recognize where you're holding tension and try to regulate that a little bit more. Um, getting in touch with what the pelvic floor is doing is huge, right? Because that's like the bottom of the core system. So you have like your, your, your pelvic floor on the bottom, your diaphragm on the top and then your abs all the way around, and all of those need to be functioning properly to create a nice balanced pressure system in that area. That means pelvic floor needs to be working well, that means diaphragm needs to be working well. So then we talk about breathing and rib cage expansion and not holding a shallow breath and um, those type of things. So um, all of that is just things that you can be aware of. Um, and then just recognizing if you, do have one and when it happens and not doing <laughs> the things that make that worse. So, so many people just continue to push their bodies um, in ways that, that create that either a bulge or a doming in the abdominals where the diastasis is or a separation there. And the more you just keep doing that stuff without modifying it or finding more balance in the system by finding better, you know, transverse abdominus strength or adductors or hamstrings or whatever it is that your body needs to realign that system so that the abs can close together. What if by just avoiding it and moving that way and putting that pressure forward, you're constantly putting this strain and, and, and separation on that area. And it's just not going to close if it's constantly being stretched open. It doesn't work that way. Like it has to be living in an environment where the tissues are closed and stay there in order for it to learn to live there. Yeah. And not only does it have to figure out where that is, but then you have to know how to breathe there. Okay. Because if you can find it, but you're like, I can't even breathe here, never mind move here, you are never gonna stay there, okay? Mm -hmm. So that alignment needs to stick through breathing. So this is where sort of like that PRI stuff kind of comes in is, is alignment and postural repositioning through breathing. Um, and that's how you get, and that's, once I started doing PRI and, and just and that, the concepts of PRI, everything I did with all of my patients started sticking, whether it's diastasis or, you know, hip impingement or back pain or whatever. Once I started integrating the breathing, they're coming back and they're going, it's gone. It didn't come back. Whereas before when I was treating people, it was just like things would always creep back in. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because there's no way that they could have stayed there if I didn't teach them how to breathe there and live there all the time. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So with the people who have learned how to find that, that closed, secure, stable position and then can breathe there and can live there, would you then eventually like grade them into things that would really challenge like the TVA, especially like, you know, squatting or things yeah. like that so that they could actually like train themselves how to do the things that they probably did before to get the diastasis maybe? Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm doing a diagnostic to figure out why they're putting the pressure there in the first place. What's missing? 
right? And I'm, I'm teaching them at very low levels how to activate and find those muscles that are missing and then turn off the muscles that are overactive, right? So at very low levels, we're doing that. But then, and I hate to say it this way, but they almost have to relearn every single thing that they do. And they have to do it differently. And I use lots of different tools to make that happen. You know, we put balls in between the knees or bands or, you know, I'm tricking the body how to move a little bit differently to create the appropriate amount of pressure in that system and to maintain that alignment so that we don't put the pressure forward into the abdominals, right? So squats, lunges, overhead presses, pull-ups, push-ups, you know, single leg work, everything needs to be retrained and relearned. Planks, you know, all that to even side planks, people will kind of really extend into and and bulge out. So literally like every main movement pattern is getting retrained. And and that takes major brain work. (laughs) Right. Commitment. And commitment and commitment, because guess what? You're gonna have to slow it down. Right. You're not gonna be able to go as quickly. Um, I have a lot of people who come to me and they go, I'm after seeing you, like I'm taking a break. Like I'm not going back to my hit classes. I'm not going back to crop, whatever, whatever their thing is. That's a fast moving group fitness class. They're like, I'm not going back. I can't do it because I'm going to mess this up and I don't want to. And so they stick with me as we work through these growing progressions of movement until they really feel like they have nailed every single thing and they can do it. They've gone from slowly to quickly. They've gone from low level to high level. They're now jumping. They're doing everything that they need to get back to their life as they know it. And they have all the tools now to manage it on their own. But that takes a lot of learning, a lot of commitment, and a lot of just like drive that this is what you want to do. And most people just either don't have the time or don't have the patience for it. But then there's the the few that do and they get so much better so quickly. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Yeah. Do you think that there's something like neurologically that happens when someone, I mean, obviously breathing during a position is going to help because people breathe all day. And so they need to be able to breathe while they hold these positions. But do you think also like breathing, like full deep diaphragmatic breathing, it has effects on the vagus nerve. Um, Do you think that there's something like to help neurologically kind of solidify these new patterns just from like a. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to get into like sympathetic nerve and you know parasympathetic systems and all that i mean that's absolutely huge when it comes to to pressure management because that's going to regulate um you know what the diaphragm's doing and how the ribs are expanding and how that creates um length tension changes in the abdominals and because they all attach to the rib cage and that's the idea with the breathing right is all those muscles attach to the rib cage that rib cage is tight and not moving anywhere because you're in like a fight or flight breathing pattern and you're not expanding you're super compressed through your thorax and Mm -hmm. that means that your abdominal muscles aren't moving effectively because they're attached to that rib cage so no movement up here is going to create very restricted uh tight movement down below and we know that anytime a muscle doesn't move or is tight or restricted it's not going to function at its fullest capacity so it becomes weak right so that's what you're looking at is like muscles attached to the bones and 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 neurologically i mean stress is one of the biggest things i talk to with my clients 100%. I'm like, y'all need, everybody needs to do something to manage their stress and recognize when they slip out of a a good breathing pattern into a more shallow one. Because I'll tell you every single time somebody's doing awesome with me and then they come back one day and they're like 
all weird and like nothing's working again. And they're like, I don't know what happened. And I'm like, well, what did your, what did your week look like? And they're like, oh, like we're moving and we're buying this house. And it's like the inspection and it's crazy. And I'm like, that's, that's what your problem, that's all it is. Okay. And that's like, it's annoying, but it's also kind of awesome because it's an easy fix. Mm -hmm. I mean, once you recognize that and you realize what a, a tremendous impact that has on the way that your body sort of absorbs all that, then you, if you can just address it, then you can get back to where you were the week before very, very quickly and easily. Totally. Self-awareness yeah. is so powerful. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's huge. <laughs> so what happens if someone's doing all their exercises and something is just not really clicking? Is there anything else that can be done? Yeah. Um, so I see this a lot. There's a... Um, People come in, they've been doing their programming and they're just like, I'm, I'm better, but I'm not quite there. And I just, I don't feel like I can do what the exercise is asking me to do. I just don't feel it. Um, and through evaluating, I'll find that there's just a lot of tissue restriction that needs to be probably like manually broken up. So I'll go in there and figure out where that is and do some, you know, myofascial soft tissue, skin rolling type techniques to really break up that fascia and the, the and muscles that are restricted and then take them through the, the breathing exercises or whatever exercise they're trying to do. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh my gosh, I can feel my pelvic floor working. Oh my gosh, I can feel my abs coming together. There was just too much restriction in the body to allow the muscles to contract and relax the way that they were supposed to. So that's one really big thing that I recommend is if you're getting, if you're feeling stuck, reach out to an in-person um, PT or, you know, whoever it is that can do manual work with you and have them assess you and, and figure out if maybe that's part of the puzzle that's missing, because that is absolutely huge. And I cannot tell you how, how many people have just been like, that was it. I can't believe I, it took me this long to get in here and get that done. So um, yeah, I think that that's a great recommendation for that. Yeah, definitely. And I know a trainer can't do that. So it's actually imperative for like you to find a PT. And if the trainer who's training you can connect with the PT, that's even better. So. Oh yeah. Any feedback that like two professionals can give back and forth to each other is only going to be better for that client. Um, and I think that's such an important thing that needs to happen for all of our professions anyway, um, to, to get that, that cross referral and, and co-treat type mentality. Um, because the more you can help people, the more business you'll get. It only comes back to you yeah. in the end if you're serving the, the clients that you yeah. have. Uh, so get away from the thought that like they're going to steal your client and just do what's best for, for the person in front of you. Yeah, sharing and integration. I'm all about integration. Yeah. And then learn from each other, you know, and don't yeah. be you know, so afraid of that. You know, that's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. So your background is actually, so you're a physical therapist, but you're also a personal trainer and you seem from what I see on Instagram with your posts, which are amazing, you merge them so well. So what would you give um, for advice for people that are in, let's say as a personal trainer or in the wellness field, trying right. to merge injury management with strength training? Yeah, I think it's a tricky thing because um, it, it's funny. So like, I'm, I'm definitely like a PT, 
like PT first learned, I learned constantly more about training, mostly through Katie, who's been like an incredible mentor from the training side of things. I also have trainers who work with me who are incredible and I learn awesome things from them as well. But what I, what I see is that trainers are a little bit more hesitant to work on the injury side of things because maybe they don't feel comfortable with it. They don't want to hurt somebody. They, they're not exactly sure what they're looking at. And they also don't want to have to slow somebody down in order to make those corrective exercises and those adjustments because they're also trying to please the client, right? <laughs> and so there's this very difficult thing of how do you address some of these issues through corrective exercises, but still give them the workout that they're looking for. Um, and that's very tricky. <laughs> I will say that. And, um, I mean, I, I kind of go off of Katie from this cause she's done a great job of integrating some of her breathing techniques with her training. And I think that's huge. And if you can, if you can just think about alignment and positioning with the exercise selection that you're giving for this client, no matter what it is, and make sure that they have a good rib cage stacked over pelvis and that they are doing using the correct breathing strategy. So um, there's some people who need a little bit more of a, like a fogging up the mirror breathing strategy. And there's some people who need a little bit more of a breathing strategy. And the difference is the people who are more pressure dominant, who have too much pressure, or maybe a little bit stronger in the external obliques, so a little bit more stronger up top, um, kind of pushing that pressure down. Those people need a strategy because those people need to learn how to generate pressure from the bottom up, meaning the pelvic floor, the lower internal obliques, the lower transverse abdominals, to counter such a strong um, external oblique force. Because when you do this, that's going to create more external obliques. You can try it on yourself and you'll feel it, right? It's very obvious, yeah. Very obvious. It, on the flip side of that, the people who are very low tone in the abdominals, which when you're training athletes, you're not going to see it as much. But when you're training or looking at general population like I am, I see a lot of low tone people. I see a lot of moms who are just sort of that low tone kind of floppy type presentation. And those mm -hmm. people need to drive up that. You asked about nervous system. They need to drive up that nervous system. They need to really put the that kind of exhale to really create more contraction and pressure in their entire system, right? They just need to do, they just need to make sure that they're lifting their pelvic floor at the same time. Because <laughs> um, if there's low tone in their abs, there's probably either low tone in their pelvic floor or they've compensated by putting extra tone in their pelvic floor to just hold everything together, mm -hmm. right? So that's what I mean. It's like I could go down so many rabbit holes of examples because absolutely everybody is different and I can't generalize it at all. Right. But looking at the, the, the technique of breathing and the alignment with your training can go a huge, huge way. And then putting your, if you're talking about diastasis, just putting your, your hands on somebody's stomach while they're doing an exercise and you feel, are they bulging? Are they sink? Are they gapping? What's happening? If you feel that, then something's not right. Um, so you can just use your own palpation, use your own feedback to figure out if you're on the right track or not. Um, and you can continue going, you know, at the speed um, of programming that you want. On the flip side, PTs have the opposite problem. PTs in general are terrified to add load to anybody, right? <laughs> Y'all know that. <laughs> and so yeah. they really need to recognize when it's time to like step it up and give that person more challenge, more variability, 
of movement and just get them like living real life because like no one lives life on their back or on a table on a table doing you know dead bugs (laughs) yeah yeah a lot of people who actually went and saw pelvic floor pt not that this is all pelvic floor pts but you know, and they're like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good on the table, but like I'd stand up and I go and pick my kid up and like all this weird stuff starts happening. And I'm like, they didn't take you to the next step, you know? And so I'm trying yeah. to bridge that gap a little bit of um, what's next for people. Yeah, no, that's awesome. You have a really great um, way of merging like <laughs> strength training with physical therapy. That's honestly how it should be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel well, like it's the PT's responsibility to get out of their comfort zone. If they don't know how to lift, they need to learn. Yeah, yeah, no, That's exactly. Nice and I don't. Um, who'd you, you who'd you have the, the movement maestro you had on? Yes. Yeah. And she said something brilliant. It was like you know the best thing to happen to PTs with trainers stepping it up. And I was like, mm-hmm. hell yes, she is a hundred percent right. And PTs absolutely hate to admit that, and they don't want to hear it. A lot of them, but it's the absolute truth. Um, and if they hate it, then that means they're afraid of it. Yeah, um, they're probably one of the ones she's talking about. <laughs> she's the one they're talking about. And, well, and it's the way things are going. So you better go with it. She said something else too. And she was like, you're getting, some people just get them back to oh. prior to injury. Like they got injured there because like, their capacity was here. They got injured. We need to put their capacity way the hell up here. Well, like, you know, that's insurance. That's a whole other. Right, right. right. You know what they really should do is insurance companies, just one insurance company should do this. And they would just, they probably get a lot more people buying their insurance, to be totally honest. A bunch of people realized is like, obviously, you were saying before, it's a very allopathic model. Like, someone has a knee injury, you're not allowed to look at like anything up the chain or down the chain, which obviously PT has gone away from that. Obviously, everybody's doing like hip work, maybe not footwork, but hip work at least. Um, But if you were to have some sort of model where you could do, I mean, I know there's like a wellness thing now, but I'm not sure if there's any if that's ever reimbursed by insurance or if that's less so, but they just like look at the whole person. Towards like a preventative model. But I mean, I mean, I know that there's certain like companies that are reimbursing, like having a benefit package for that. So like if their employees go and see a trainer, they're going to pay a certain number of uh, a certain cash amount of training per or, or gym membership or whatever. So there's like some like in office, you know, bigger companies who are giving incentives like that, but it's not yeah. through insurance to my understanding. Yes, yeah, is. you talked about feet and it made me think about the posture, right? So posture, everybody thinks posture for, you now going back to our conversation, <laughs> I asked is this, but, That's fine. You know, it's gone everywhere. Posture is like, oh, I have people all the time walk in and they're like, yeah, I've been working on my posture. And they like throw their shoulders back and they like thrust their rib cage out. And I'm like, That's <laughs> why you have an diastasis. Stop doing that. Like, it's okay to just like not try so hard in that regard. And posture really comes, I, I believe, from the floor up. Like your feet have to be in a good posture. Your, yes. your knees have to be in a good posture. Your hips have to be in a good posture. Your rib cage alignment has to be in a good posture. All of those pieces have to mm-hmm. stack on top of each other. And that's really what we're looking at. So I, I, I sort of like, I pick away at people's issues and I, and I go after the most obvious thing first, mm-hmm. but oftentimes they're like, yeah, I'm better. I'm just not, you know, there's something missing. And so then I kind of go back and I look at them again and I'm, every time I see someone, I'm reassessing what's going on. And I'm like, oh, 
like I never noticed the fact that you're like way out on the side of your feet like that and you're just like hanging out there or you like turn your knees out all the time or you lock your knees well that's usually for, you know, lock knees but you know what I mean like there's always something else that's going on that's yeah. going to tell you something about their body and why they're not healing in whatever area it is that you're looking at it's like playing Jenga oh it's ridiculous yeah I mean, anywhere it, it, anywhere could be the problem yeah and it's also like being a you know, just discovering and, and, you know, you're kind of half engineer, you're kind of half like detective, you're, yeah. you know, you're half like, yeah, it's weird. So there's a lot going on to, to study and to learn about. And I don't, you know, I'm always trying to learn more because I feel like the more pieces of that puzzle you put together, the more your brain starts going, that's it. You know, that's it. You know, and it's, it's weird how that works. It's like you go to a course and now everything's like, like I started like looking at David Gray stuff and I'm like, everybody's got a foot thing going on now, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, that's not true, but it's really good to start like looking at an area of the body that you may have just gotten a little bit off, off of doing and, and out of practice. Yeah, you know? definitely. I really agree with that. It's funny too. Like I, I started looking at David's stuff too, like recently. And um, then I, I keep giving it to everybody because everybody can benefit from it. Well, that's, a, yeah, the, his stuff's great because it's like, yeah, we all have feet, <laughs> both, yeah. you know, both of us, and we all have to walk, you know, and, and gait is everything, you know, it's why yeah. I, watch, I watch everybody walk and people are like, why are you watching me walk? Like, I'm here for diastasis and I'm like, because it's cross body and it's connecting and it's like, <laughs> and it all Let's matters. Move the hands fast. <laughs> yeah. You have to rotate well. And that's the other thing about some of these like diastasis programs online. They're like, no rotation. Like, don't, no rope, like you can't rotate. And that's bad for a diastasis. And I'm like, what? Like, what human does not rotate in their life? Like, how can you tell Walking. someone not to rotate? You know, and so that's like, there's, a, there's several things like that where I'm just like, that doesn't make any sense. And so people aren't rotating. And I'm like, then you're never learning how to move and your and your your core system is learning how to move through and you know you see babies close their diastasis and what do they do to close it they they flex and they rotate yeah you know that's how they that through through developmental milestones but and and that's what they do to, to close it and so we need to be doing the same thing the problem is that babies are clean slate you know, muscles that have learned to be tight or guarded, you know, babies don't sit at desks all day long. Babies aren't counteracting uh, stress and breathing dysfunctions and, and things that are interrupting the abilities, the body's ability to flex and rotate without compensation. So a lot of people will go into that flexion rotation, but they'll do it very rectus dominant, right? And then they get the bulging. And so how do we get that to cut, shut down and get more TA's involvement? Well, maybe we have to get the hip the psoas to shut off you know maybe that's that's throwing interference in the system maybe that's keeping them in that anterior tilt and we can't get those tas to fire because psoas won't let go mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of things like that that i look at in terms of like uh muscle imbalances in order to get the system to realign it's almost impossible to just tell somebody stack your rib cage over your pelvis there's a reason they're not there mm -hmm. and you have to figure out what that reason is and and, and get them out of it. So shut off the overactive muscles, stimulate the underactive muscles. And that's where the detective work comes in. That's so, it's <laughs> not, it's not easy. So <laughs> no, it's not no. easy. It actually, easy. Everybody would be doing it. <laughs> yeah. I have another diastasis, I guess, myth busting question. Like there are certain exercises that 
you're not supposed to do and certain ones you're supposed to do. Can you go over that a little bit? Yeah. Um, the biggest ones that you're sort of not supposed to do, which I agree with are anything that's very front loading. Okay. So either on your back or, um, in a weight bearing position that's front loading. So, um, on your back, that would be like Pilates hundreds or like scissor kicks or, um, V ups or, you know, anything that's really going to like create that crunch to the abdominals. Um, on your, on your hands and knees, you know, you're talking about, you know, planks, push-ups. um, you know, even, even like pull-ups can be front loading and that like, you kind of have to go into that extension pattern to get there and then oh, load the system. Overhead presses are sort of the same way. So those aren't no-nos. None of it's really like you can't do it unless you can't do it without separation. Right. Mm-hmm. So like the trick is like, how do you regress and then build back up in a more connected way? Okay. So this is no, this isn't like no forever. This is like no for now until you learn how to do it better. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Do you have any resources that you would recommend, um, to, well, we have a lot of clinicians that listen and a lot of personal trainers, but there's people that don't really have any background in, um, anatomy and physiology either, but do you have any resources that would be helpful for people to learn more about this stuff? Yeah, it's, um, I, I learned most of it through, um, one, I just took, I was talking about PRI I took, and I just learned a lot about the breathing system through that and just kind of putting all of those pieces together when it comes to like ZOA and pressures and things like that, that I like just didn't really like in PT school, like it's crazy. Like they don't teach you any exercises. Like it is the weirdest thing. Like in three years of PT school, dude, I'm telling you, I forgot about this. In three years of PT school, I had two days of like exercise rehab is, class. It's crazy. Like that. And then it was like two days of like massage stuff. Like it was like, what did I even learn in PT? Like, what were we doing for three years? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel the same with athletic training school. Our same. rehab class. I learned how to do a banded distraction on my ankle. Something yeah. that I don't use. Clinical. Clinical is what we learned. Right. Clinical was by far the most valuable part of grad school for me. Right, right. Sarah Ellis, who I bought Perfectly Fit from, she has um, a business called Core Exercise Solutions, and she has a continuing ed course, postpartum continuing ed course. Oh, cool. She offers like an online, it's a 12-week online course for uh, PTs, trainers, anybody who's interested in that postpartum world. So you learn a lot about pelvic floor, you learn a lot about diastasis, um, and that's where I took that, that 12, 12 week course from her. And I learned a lot of what I like the basic stuff from that. Um, and then I just took it and started looking at it clinically. So, I mean, my biggest advice to anybody on where you need to learn your information from, it's from your clients and your patients. I mean, that's honestly like, I think all the time, like, I don't read anything anymore. <laughs> I, I like, I'm like a mom now. Like I'm like, where I, I really want to, I don't have the time. But honestly, I just learned so much from watching people and looking at people and hearing their different stories and putting it all together and learning from one person and then applying it to another one. And that's really like where my ideas just sort of snowball from is just learning in real life because that's not the stuff that's going to be written down in any course. You know, that's Mm -hmm. the stuff that you sort of put together and you come up with on your own and you create your own model based on 
what is happening in real life. And, and so that's like, that's my biggest um, source of learning and inf- information. <laughs> I mean, that's a daily source cool. of learning. So that's pretty awesome, yeah. which yeah. kind of leads into our next question of how you move your brain or your body. doesn't have to be every day. Just what do you do to move your brain and body? Yeah, um, I move my brain a lot. Um, obviously, <laughs> a lot of um, it's a lot of go 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 for me. My day is pretty jammed up, um, and I'm. My husband jokes because, like, when I come home, I'm like, "Shut up! Don't talk to me!" Like, no, there's no, there's no like, "How is your day?" It's like, I need like a half an hour before we start having any kind of real conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I guess I'll take it a little bit the opposite. Like the way I move my brain is to sort of try to shut it down a little bit um, and get some recharge. So um, I actually, my husband would probably disagree with me, but I, I do try really hard to limit screen time when I'm at home. Like I try to not be on my phone. I try to be very present with what's happening, you know, in my home life and outside of that. And I like to be outside and I, I try to just like separate myself a little bit um, as much as possible. It's not always easy, but that really tends to help me um, disconnect and recharge my brain, which I think is, if you're talking about like move your brain in terms of what's healthy for your brain, I think that that's been very healthy. Um, totally. And, you know, and I try to, and I also want to show that my to my kid, you know, because, you know, I have like a three and a half year old who's never even been on a tablet because I'm just oh. like, you need to be a kid. That's amazing. Yeah. She's done, never used one. That's Start a trend. That's what I yeah. want. I mean, like she can go on like a four hour car ride with nothing. Like she like draws. Which is know? what we used to do. I didn't yeah. have a tablet growing I up. I had just sketch. I had yeah. that. Back on a tablet. Those are yeah. cool. Yeah, exactly. So um, I don't know. I'm just trying to be like, there is a time and place for that stuff, but there's also a time and place for like being present. And there's just so much research out there on like mental health and, and screen time and yeah. depression and anxiety and mm-hmm. brain fog and, you know, all of these things that I'm just like trying to do the best I can to sort of keep my brain healthy in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's one of the best responses I think we've actually gotten for sure. (laughs) I love that response. There has to be balance or you're just, you're going to suffer, you know? Yeah. Um, I just feel that like deeply. (laughs) Oh, I really agree with you. Where, um, if people would like to work with you or people want to reach out to you to learn some more information, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, I am available on Instagram. Speaking of screen time. (laughs) (laughs) Which you have great posts. Okay. You've been on fire. Uh, thank I've you. I, I go in like I, I go in kind of spurts. So do I. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's Jill Zimmerman with one N at the end. Jill Zimmerman PT um, is my Instagram, and then um, you can kind of find me there. I you know I have like my work website, but that's going to be more for local people in Charleston. Um, but if you want to find me, um, I'm available to do online consults, um, you know, through Zoom, we can kind of troubleshoot any of the issues that you might be having, just like I would be if I was there. Obviously not the same, but sometimes it takes, like I said, that just another way of thinking about something to sort of spark an idea that maybe you can take back to whatever in-person person that you're seeing and say, hey, what about this? You know, like, let's yeah. look at this. Maybe this is what's going on. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, we're going to link everything. We'll link um, the course you talked about and 
your work website too. So yeah, yeah, and I have the email. My email is on my work website, and so there's like multiple. I mean, contact me like you would anybody else. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Cool. Well, thank th- you, Jill, so much for coming on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. I had a good time. <laughs> that was awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Continue listening as we release new episodes weekly on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have any topics you'd like us to cover, please reach out to us on Instagram at moveyourbb. Thanks for your support and for listening to our podcast.